unless we take decisive action, even after our economy pulls out of its slide, trillion-dollar deficits will be a reality for years to come. Hello, you're listening to Planet Money. I'm David Kestenbaum in Washington, D.C. And I'm Laura Conaway in New York. Today's Wednesday, January 7th, 2009. It's about 3.10 in the afternoon. Today, we are really going to put the planet into planet money. We're going to look at a very large country that is flexing some pretty big muscles. But first, our planet money indicator. David? It's uh, $1.2 trillion. Now, we throw around the billion number quite a lot these days. I've kind of gotten used to it. But this here, people, we are talking a trillion. 1.2 trillion is the projected federal budget deficit for this coming year. And that number comes thanks to the folks at the Congressional Budget Office who know about uh, federal budgets. And it means that they expect that the government will be spending $1.2 trillion more than it takes in in the coming year. And part of that is just that there probably will be less coming in. Corporate income tax, for instance, is expected to drop by 27 percent. Individual income tax dropped by 8 percent. At the same time, the government has new expenses associated with the financial bailout. So people sometimes ask, you know, what is real money? $1.2 trillion, that's real money. That's a lot of money. That's historically a lot of money. The CBO says that amount would shatter the previous post-World War II record for a government deficit. $1.2 trillion is over 8% of our gross domestic product. And that $1.2 trillion, just to add here, does not include the huge stimulus package that everyone's now talking about, and that could be uh, another trillion dollars spread out over two years. So we're going to be talking a lot about what it means to run a deficit like this on future podcasts. You know, David, way back before the economic crisis began... I can barely remember, but uh, you mean back when we were in recession, but we didn't actually know it was a recession. Yeah, we didn't even know we were living in a recession. We just thought, "Mm, maybe it's a little bleak. Before that even, this guy named Jeff Porter started talking to me about a story that concerns natural gas. Jeff works as an analyst for this people called Eurasia Group. We can actually see their balcony outside of our window here on 42nd Street. And Jeff has been looking into this one way that Europe could get a better supply of natural gas. Right. And if you're in Europe now, you want natural gas because it's winter, and that is the stuff that actually lights up a lot of people's stoves and and heats their home and and their water. Yeah, exactly. And it also turns out that it powers some factories over there, too. Something like a quarter of Europe's natural gas comes from one state-controlled company. That's Russia's Gazprom. It's been in the headlines a lot. Gazprom moves about 80% of its natural gas through pipelines that go across Ukraine and into the rest of Europe. Except for when they get mad at Ukraine, like that happened this week, and Russia basically turns the gas off. So, you know, what I've never quite understood about this, it just seems very risky. I mean, if you think about it simply, Russia wants to be making money selling gas, and in fact, they're they're turning it off here. Yeah, and they do want to make money selling gas. It's not just politics. Some people think it's because Ukraine has been asking for a wider role on the Western stage. That's not what's going on here, Jeff Porter says. He talked to Adam Davidson and me about it today, and he says that Gazprom has far greater ambitions, like 
really cornering the market so it could eventually charge more. It thinks it will be able to become a monopoly, or it, it or it thinks it has enough of a dominance in European market share that that is actually not sacrificing its interests. Um, that it, perhaps it will be able to to increase its economic leverage in the future by acting aggressively now. I'm- to make this ridiculous, I, I think of my cable company, which drives me absolutely crazy every time I talk to them. And uh, that's because they're a monopoly. They can treat me however they want because if I want cable TV, I got to go to them. And I compare that to my block where there's a couple different grocery stores and they have to compete with each other. So so I get better service. Right. I mean, if if you had if you could tell your cable company, look, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to go to another cable company. They might be more accommodating. But because you don't have a choice, you know, you can complain until your face turns blue and you'll at the end of the day, you'll still pay more. You know, have and get whatever you know fewer services. So you're so now you're really scaring me. Russia is the giant cable company. Of <laughs> <Asia>. <laughs> you will make an appointment and you will wait all day right. for the repairman to show up. So, so Europe looks to North Africa. They say you've got natural gas in spades. Right, you have natural gas now, and you and and, and there's potential for more. Um, and you can also be a transit country for sub-Saharan natural gas, um, which is is bountiful and underexploited, uh, but and currently has no way to get or a very limited way to get to European markets. How bountiful are we talking about here? Well, one one, one good example of this is the uh, that Nigeria currently has you know, a, a limited way of getting natural gas to market. It can it it has one LNG terminal, um, and but it has much more. It produces much more gas. LNG, that's like the place that you turn the gas into a liquid. That's right. That's what an LNG terminal is. Right. Um, It has one liquefaction facility where you you liquefy the gas. Um, Now, but it produces much more gas than it has the capacity to liquefy. Um, But it doesn't have any export pipelines. There's no place, there's no, there are no pipelines in Nigeria that run to gas markets, places where the gas would be needed. So as a consequence, they flare the gas. They, they, they literally just burn it off. Um, and they're burning off about 20 billion cubic meters a year. Now, as, as a point of comparison, Algeria exports, Algeria is the number one export of gas in, in Africa. Algeria exports 65 billion cubic meters a year. So Nigeria is burning off the equivalent of one third of what Algeria exports every year. So it's a colossal waste of money. And it's also extremely harmful to the, to the environment. Carbon emissions are through the roof. And Nigeria is desperately seeking a way to, to, to quote-unquote, capture this gas. Now, look, it is important to note that this pipeline is basically a pipe dream. Porter says you're talking about the longest energy pipeline of any type ever, anywhere. And you're talking about putting it in the middle of the desert. Which is a rough place to try and build a pipeline. Yeah, and it's not necessarily going through the easiest social terrain either. Porter says that there are a lot of small groups who live out there in the desert, and they have big beefs with their governments that are very far away. They're living in the middle of nowhere. He says a pipeline like this might as well have a bullseye on it. But still, you'd think that someone would find a way to build a pipeline or would would want to because the Europeans are worried they're not going to have natural gas to heat their homes or run their factories. And, you know, they're experiencing the same economic downturn we are. They don't want this headache. Africa has natural gas. You'd think someone would find a way to get it up there. Well, there is at least one big player who appears willing to at least consider some of the risk of 
getting in on the Nigerian and Algerian natural gas play. And guess who that is? One accomplished builder of gas pipelines is, of course, the, the, the Russian gas giant Gazprom. Which just uh, shut off the gas to Europe. Right. And so Which it, is it, the whole reason Europe wants to get away from doing this. That's right. And so one of, one of the, the, the unintended consequences of this story, or the, one of the big surprises of the story, would be that you know, Europe may encourage the Algerians and Nigerians to go ahead and build this pipeline in order to, to provide Europe with an alternative to Russian gas and, and, and get the Europeans out from under, under Russia's, you know, Russia's thumb. And then they would turn, and who would, build, be, who would be building the pipeline but none other than the Russians? There's another wrinkle to this as well, which is that Algeria... Wait, 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 wait. I don't want to bury the headline. Oh. So you're saying that the whole purpose of this is for Europe to have an alternative to Russia by going south to Algeria and Nigeria, and the people who might give them that alternative to Russia is the Russians. Right. I mean, and and Russia has the, the gas problem has some advantages over other technologically capable companies, namely that Gazprom doesn't have to be, res, respond to a, a board of directors. Gazprom doesn't have to respond to shareholders. You know, most multinational companies in, 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 in Western Europe and the United States, you know, would have to respond, to, would have to justify this very risky endeavor to their board of directors. And the board of directors may say, mm, we don't really think this is the time to be you know, pushing ahead with a project of this magnitude um, or, you know, expose ourselves to this amount of risk. In addition, shareholders exert pressure over, you know, on, on what companies in, in the United States and Western Europe do. So Russia, if ExxonMobil, I don't know if they could do it, but if they wanted to do it, their shareholders would say, forget that. That's crazy. Exactly. And what has Russia done so far to make sure that happens? Well, they've, they've actually been very active in North Africa. Um, as a way of sort of in, in positioning themselves in the transit countries through which Nigerian gas would ha- would, would likely pass. In, in particular, Gazprom has opened up an office for African affairs or African relations in none other than Algeria itself. So the the, the, the head the, the head office for Gazprom's Africa ventures is in Algiers. So you know if gas is go if Nigerian gas is going to pass through. Now, Algeria into European markets, Gazprom will have a, a pretty close read on what's taking place. In addition, Algeria just held a what, what's called a, a bid round, where they offered up acreage in the Algerian upstream, um, in, in, in this case in the Algerian desert, to multinational oil and gas companies. And the multinational oil and gas companies would bid on the acreage, and they would then have the rights to explore for gas, develop the gas reserves that they found, build the infrastructure, and move that gas to market. Um, in this case, it would be most likely Algerian domestic use, but also European exports. Well, most multinational corporations stayed away. They didn't participate in the bid round, with the exception, of course, of Gazprom. Now, Gazprom took a tremendous risk, bid on acreage in Algeria, and now has the right to explore for gas in Algeria. And if Algeria decides it wants to increase its gas exports to Europe, which is part of a strategic plan that the energy ministry in Algiers has, well, who's going to be profiting from the Algerian plan to increase exports to Europe, but none other than Gazprom again? It's kind of a crazy story, really. It's like everywhere Europe turns, there's there's Gazprom. It reminds me a little bit of the conversation we have in the United States where political leaders come in and say, we have to get rid of our dependence on foreign oil. And here they are trying to get rid of their dependence on Russian gas. And the first place they go, it's Russian gas. Um, 
Jeff Porter gave us some great pictures from the North African desert where he gets to troop around doing his research. I'll put some of those on the blog along with a map so you can see just where we're talking about. Check it out at npr.org slash money. That's the deal. Thank you to Jeff Porter from Eurasia Group for stopping by. And that's a wrap for Planet Money. Keep those letters and pictures and indicators coming. I'm Laura Conaway. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thanks for listening. Everything's going to get lighter.